I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Watford FC Buzz Podcast, the show where we talk about the greatest team in the land, Watford Football Club. My name is Matt Mestiano, and this week, like usual, we'll be discussing Watford and also having a little sneak peek at the team who Watford are about to play. This week, that's QPR, and we'll be chatting to Paul Finney of the Open All R's podcast later in the show. But first, it's a real pleasure for me to introduce a special guest to the show. He's a TV and radio broadcaster and a big Watford fan as well. Joining us from all the way across the world in Abu Dhabi via video call, of course, it's Graham Clues. Graham, how are you doing? I'm very well. Very happy to be here. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Graham. Well, you've been uh, you've been working in front of the TV cameras for some time now, but uh, what people may not know is that you come from a TV family because, of course, your father was a director and producer of many great TV programmes, including the likes of Sunday Night at the Palladium and the Morecambe and Wise show as well. So was it almost inevitable that you'd be going into working in television? I think most people would, would say that looking back at it and I think I had a little waver in my early teens. You know, I had a, I'm not going to go into TV just because my family's <laughs> in it, you know. And I tried to say that to myself, but sooner or later I had to relent and, and follow the path as well. But I didn't really know whether it was going to be behind the camera or in front of the camera. Behind the camera, like you say, my dad was uh, very successful at, at the BBC and ITV. He went on to do the uh, Pink Windmill Show, Emu's Pink Windmill Show as well. That was one of his big hits. <laughs> and my uncle was a, a BAFTA-winning director. But the other side of the camera, uh, my cousins, Robert Glenister and Philip Glenister, who you may know. Oh, yeah. Um, and they're my cousins, my only two cousins. And they're both uh, – uh, Philip is exactly 10 years older than me. And Robert, his older brother, is exactly 10 years older than my brother. So seeing their success uh, on camera as well kind of made me for a while – sort of waver between the two but I've just kind of followed a natural path and I'm, I'm extraordinarily lucky. So Graham how long have you been supporting the Hornets then and, and how did that all come about? Well like it's funny because you often ask people when did you start supporting your team and if they kind of say uh, a year a, a number of years that isn't also their age I get a bit suspicious of them why have you changed teams halfway through I never quite <laughs> understood that I mean I'm Watford I was born uh, at Bushy Hospital, underneath the arches, as it, as it was then. Uh, lived in Northwood until I was about 11, then moved to, to Ricky. So, you know, I was a Watford boy. I went to Watford Boys School. Um, it was a natural choice. It was never going to be anything else, surely. And uh, unlike yourself, your parents weren't that big on football. No, they weren't. That's very true. Yeah, my mum, I mean, my mum took me to my school football matches and my cub football matches and other teams that I would play for. My dad, again, he, he would come when he could, when he wasn't working, but he was a bit of a rugby and, and cricket man himself. He was, he was from the north, from Stoke, uh, and he loved rugby and cricket more. So 
they weren't really football nuts, so I didn't get to go to Vicarage Road as much as looking back I would have liked to. I always watched them when on the rare occasions they were on TV, obviously only when we were in the top division back in those days. Um, but I didn't really have uh, the kind of football support around me that would take me to Vicarage Road every week. And, you know, and it was just a, it was something that they'd never stopped me enjoying by any means. But yeah, I didn't have that constant access to it. So I kind of had to make my own way through a love of watching football and playing it myself as well. Yeah, but you, you probably got to witness one of the best periods for, for any Watford fan, though. Of course, the, the great days of Elton John and Graham Taylor. I mean, that must have been great to, to sit through. Well, it, exactly. And I mean, I was a little bit too young. I do remember when I was, I think I was 11 years old, and my mum took me to All Sports, which was on Watford High Street. Oh, yeah. And they, she walked me into All Sports. I'm not, you know, being all coy about it, I didn't quite know what was going on. And there was this young man sat behind the counter with a couple of guys in suits next to him. And my mum said, do you want this young man uh, to, to help you buy some boots and he'll sign your boots? And I was like, yeah, whatever, mum, I just need some boots. You know, I don't need all this pizzazz. <laughs> and this young man, you know, he looked like he'd been sat in all sports for a few hours and there hadn't been that many people coming in. And eventually this lovely young man, he, he signed my boots. I think he took a photo with me as well. Um, and I took them away, and I think I instantly went back home, put the boots on, played outside, and rubbed the signature off the boots within minutes. Little did I know that was John Barnes. Wow! I had absolutely no idea at the time. Wow! I think he, I think he'd only just signed for us, so he was still, you know, this this young whiz kid. But we didn't really know what to expect. Had I gone into all sports a year later, obviously things would have been very, very different. But yeah, um, yeah. So I remember that at the time, and and that really started my love of John Barnes. He's always been my favourite footballer. Um, and that was before I really knew um, that, I, that I'd met him. It took it, about 10 years later, my mum said, you do know you met John Barnes when you were about, did I? I don't remember that at all. <laughs> well, well, later on, of course, you got to meet him again, didn't you? Because you, uh, you, you got to present uh, and, and interview him. And I think it was one of your first television interviews, wasn't it? It was. I've been lucky enough to interview John. John, like I, like he knows me. Yeah, that's um, just John about, over there. Yeah, it's just John JB. You know, uh, I think I've interviewed him about six or seven times over the years. But you're absolutely right. One of the first I ever did out here um, was with John Barnes, who was going to be a pundit for the local Premier League coverage out here. It was gonna, and he was part of the star-studded lineup for it. And I thought it was a bit of serendipity that one of the first things I got assigned to go and do was an interview with my childhood hero from my football club. I kind of thought to myself, well, I think I've found my career path here. That's a sign <laughs> from above. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if we go back to those, to those days when you were playing, uh, playing on those school playgrounds, you've said that uh, John Barnes was your favourite player. But uh, mm. when, when did you first uh, go to, to Vicarage Road, the hallowed ground, and, uh, and, and get to watch a match? Well, it was around then as well, I think, because, I mean, I'm sure you know the history that, that football in the 70s and, and the late 70s and even going into the 80s was, was not a family-friendly thing. It's well-documented. Watford fans know this, that, that Graham Taylor and Elton John really created the family football club. Um, and I think it was, I was just in the right place at the right time as a kid that my parents saw the good work that Graham Taylor and Elton John were doing at Vicarage Road and the family stand and, you know, and promising mm. a family-friendly afternoon out. So I don't think they took me necessarily 
as a Watford fan, I think they took me more as, as I, they knew I loved football and they felt safe enough that that was the one place around England where they felt comfortable that they could take me there. Like I say, I think I probably only went half a dozen times in my childhood. Um, it wasn't somewhere that I could necessarily get to on my own until I could drive. Yeah. And then other things took over when you become a late teen, you know, you suddenly discover all the joys that life has to offer. And football goes on the back burner a little bit and you end up watching it on TV. But I do remember going into Vicarage Road and it would have, um, it must have been the Graham Taylor stand as it is now. Mm. Um, and I remember sitting in there and watching, I think we were playing York. I'm not sure if I'm wrong there. You'll have to check that. Oh. And they had a wonderful victory. And I think they even produced, might be in my dreams, but I'm sure they produced pencils after the victory that had the score line on it because it was such a momentous win wow something like that i may have made that up i'm sure somebody you know will know whether that's true or not wow. but i remember yeah. it sort of being a cold and blustery kind of occasion sitting on wooden uh wooden seating and watching the match but i but i instantly felt god oh, this this is fantastic i love this atmosphere this cheering it's a bit overwhelming the first time when you're a young kid to see so many hundreds and thousands of people and the, and the choice language, shall we say, that you hear from all around you. Um, but it was a great experience, and I remember it, and, and it cemented my love for what. If you're out there, by the way, and you're listening, and you, uh, you have one of those pencils, get in touch, tell us whether, uh, whether they actually did make p pencils after that York game. I'd be very interested sure to know. I'm sure they did. I'm sure it's like 7-1 or something. This may be completely in my dream. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I swear, maybe it wasn't York, but there was a 7-1 win and I'm sure Watford Football Club produced pencils with the scoreline on it afterwards. It sounds like the sort of thing they might have done. True. Yeah, I think they might have done it. This would have been very early 80s, possibly very late 70s. So John Barnes was, was a clear favourite, obviously, for yourself. But uh, who, who else stood out for you in, in a yellow shirt uh, in that period? Well, of course, of course, this was the period, especially when I became very aware of Watford, was, like you said earlier, this was the heyday. This was the first division this was challenging for the first division title. You know, it came down to us and Liverpool. It was, I didn't appreciate the significance of it at the time. Yeah. You didn't really have access to, to the information. So I wasn't really aware of, of what had preceded it in the last four or five seasons, the rise up through the ranks. I didn't really read the back pages of newspapers. It wasn't really for me as a kid. So I was just enjoying it at face value. I remember obviously Luther Blissett, um, what an extraordinary figure he was, so tall, and he, he just seemed to have these longer legs than anybody else had on the pitch. It was like watching a gazelle charge forward every time he got he got that long ball that he was after. I remember that quite clearly as well. Um, who else do I remember? I think Kenny Jacket, he stood out for me yeah. quite a lot uh, in goal. Um, oh, what was the name of the goalkeeper we had? Oh, I think he's gone out of my head. But I remember in goal, Sherwood, oh, was he one of the Yes, that's exactly yeah. who it was. Yes, thank you. That's exactly who it was. So I remember these figures in front of me that I later went back and then got the, the sticker book, you know, the stickers that you would gather over time and put in the, Watford, in the Watford sticker book. And I remember gathering them slowly and slowly. But Luther Blissett for me is a, is a big memory of, I couldn't believe the speed and power of this man in front of me. It was just unlike anything I'd seen before. So that stuck with me a lot. 
and uh, more recently, uh, you, you've been uh, abroad. And, and so uh, I guess it's kind of a similar relationship that you've got with the club that you had in those early days when you couldn't get to the game, because, of course, you're now living quite far away. But uh, yes. are you still managing to catch Watford matches? Well, we ha- it's, it's a bit ironic, really, especially when we were in the Premier League. Oh, let's not talk about that. But <laughs> especially when we were in the Premier League, out here, the, um, the host broadcast of the Premier League is being sports. And often I would see people in the UK tweeting, is the Watford match on today? And I would always want to kind of reply, say, well, I to say in the Middle East, we get every single Watford match live on TV. It doesn't matter what time of day. Really? Wow. It is. We, get, we get every single Premier League match that is being played at any time is live on a channel out here on BN Sports. Which, which seems ridiculous that I'm thousands of miles away and I get more access to watching Watford matches than, uh, than you do in the UK. Even this season, to be honest with you, quite a lot of the championship matches that um, your only access has been the Hive to mm. watch it on, the Hornet Hive. We've had it live on, on being sports out here so I can watch it in glorious, uh, you know, proper TV. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I've kind of had more access than you have in the UK in a weird way. Every summer, when we usually go back to the UK, um, I'm very grateful that my brother-in-law, my father-in-law, mother-in-law, who are huge Watford fans as well, they often take me to warm-up games. You know, we often play uh, Inter Milan or somebody in the summer or or those kind of games at Vicarage Road. Sometimes at Christmas, when I came back, I remember in the last few years, they treated me to away at Chelsea, home at Tottenham, uh, which just happened to happen over the Christmas period. So... Mm. I've been very lucky that, you know, in recent seasons, especially in the Premier League, um, I've been able to see them live in person as well as every single minute on TV. So you enjoyed the Premier League years then? I did, yeah. I had the realistic view, I think. I think some Watford fans just didn't have a realistic view. For me, I don't know about you, but for me, it was survive every year. That that was the key. If we picked picked off a couple of uh, big scouts along the way, Fantastic. The FA Cup run obviously uh, was amazing and, and we enjoyed that. But I didn't have any, any aspirations for the club beyond that. I didn't, I didn't really think European football was, was, was something we could achieve fairly easily. It would have been nice. But, you know, clubs of our size, should we say, you know, often struggle. Look at Burnley when they got to yeah, European yeah. League and they've struggled to cope with it. So I didn't really want that. I just had, I just, fully enjoyed and embraced those big occasions, you know, when we had Tottenham at home, when we had Liverpool come, when we had City come. And, uh, you know, sometimes it was a bit embarrassing, especially against City. But I, I had a very realistic view of, of in the Premier League. Actually, in the last couple of seasons before we got relegated, I thought we could have pushed on a little bit more than we did. I did think some of the players that, that had come in would, would raise us a bit further each season. But it seemed like it seemed like we kind of found our level and that was it. And then last season, well, we all know what happened. The, the wheels came off somewhat. Yeah. What's your, what's your opinion in general of the, of the Pozzo family and, and the way they, they run the club? Sometimes they get a bit of a bad rap because uh, I suppose yeah. uh, some media personnel would say they've got a bit of an itchy trigger finger when it comes to replacing managers. But uh, what, what's, their, uh, what's, what's your opinion of them? And also, what's, their, what's the opinion that, they, that is sort of in, in Abu Dhabi and that kind of region? Mm. My personal opinion is that they're fantastic. I mean, what could you not, what could you not 
be positive about for what they've brought to the club and when they bought the club we were we were on the brink of you know very hard times ahead financially mm. and they came in literally saved us overnight and and look at the money they've plowed into not just the team but the 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 facilities around the place vicarage road now when you walk up to it, it's unrecognizable yeah to what five seasons ago four seasons ago it looks like a totally different venue so i have no problem with them at all i think they're wonderful the itchy trigger finger thing i had no problem with until last season i thought last season was the seat and it turned out to be right that last season was i think the firing of managers became a little bit ridiculous and honestly here in the middle east unfortunately Watford became known as oh you're the club that fires managers after two weeks and it was just became uh-huh. the joke unfortunately that it didn't matter that we just stopped liverpool's unbeaten run you know the next the next sentence would be ah oh, but they'll probably fire him the week after which <laughs> they almost did to be honest yeah um so they were right but yeah unfortunately that stigma is with Watford now out here you know people don't really look into the history of clubs like what but if you're just a football fan you know all about Liverpool you know all about City especially City here where Abu Dhabi owns them you know all about the big clubs but for a, a genuine or uh, average football fan you're not going to look into the history of Watford so much so you just take the back page headlines which is oh Watford get rid of their managers every couple of months unfortunately that's stuck and it'll probably stick with us for a long time I think so is Man City the biggest club in, in Abu Dhabi and the that region then? It's interesting. Yeah, Man City obviously are everywhere because of the connection with Abu Dhabi and Etihad Airways is obviously their home is here as well. And every time Man City finishes season, the entire squad comes out to Abu Dhabi uh, and, and meets Sheikh uh, Mubarak and everybody here. And it's all a big fanfare every year. So they have obviously a close connection. But it's interesting. When you sit down with a lot of Emiratis and, and Arabs as well, and most of them, I would say, in my opinion, it's Liverpool. For them, it's Liverpool. Really? Why? Yeah. Okay. Because their first experiences when they were all younger, a generation ago, of watching football on TV would have been in the 80s out here. And during the 80s, it was Liverpool dominance yep. for everything, European and domestic and everything. So they kind of grew up with Liverpool being the club and it's, it seems to have been passed down to the next generation as well. So I think if you did a poll around this, this area, yes, United, Man United would be up there. Yes, City would certainly be up there. But I would say Liverpool is, is the most supportive club. Is the Premier League bigger than the, than the local football? Uh, yes, by quite a margin. It's, um, they, they obviously have a have a real love for Real Madrid and Barcelona and so in that respect when it's El Clasico that's the biggest match uh, to be watched on TV mm-hmm. but not so much the rest the rest of that league um, and then it's Premier League absolutely Premier League it is chock-a-block with Premier League if you go to the sports bars here when a Premier League match is on that's the only time you're guaranteed they're full um, other sports are obviously big we you know we have a lot of events here we have big tennis events we have big golf events yeah. We have the UFC have been out here a couple of times uh, and done big events, but nothing, absolutely nothing compares with Premier League football, specifically Premier League football out here. The local league is professional. It went professional 10 years ago. It's called the Arabian Golf League. I, I do some comment, live commentary on matches as well. And it's, you know, it looks professional, but 
they just don't have the the fan base the, the stadiums aren't aren't as nearly as full as they would like them to be which is unfortunate because this kickoff here at seven o'clock is like Al Jazeera against Al Wada two teams out here but if at seven o'clock it's also Liverpool against Everton it's going to be empty in the stands they're all in the coffee shops and the bars watching the Premier League so um what do you think about the uh, the current Watford side then the championship Watford mm-hmm. side I mean it's still got a, a whole host of big big players and, and um you know it's 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 almost reminiscent of the team that, that we had in the Premier League it is very much so much to my surprise as well I, I was I expected Delafu to to go um but I also like we all did expected Saar to have moved on I expected Will Hughes to have moved on I expected Kapu to have gone somewhere else and and Troy I kind of thought he was always going to stay I kind of thought that he would put his sensible head on and, and think, do I want to sit on the subs bench in Premier League football and occasionally get an appearance with 10 minutes to go when they just want to lob it up to me? Or do I want to still be this talismanic figure at the club that stood by me when I needed someone? So I kind of thought that he was going to stay. Um, as regards the team them itself, the unfortunate side of keeping all those players is we now have unrealistic expectations of what we can achieve. <laughs> So we now think, I mean, thankfully we are in the situation we are, second in the, in the championship, but it looked a bit dodgy for a few matches, a few bad results, and everybody was going, well, yeah, but look at the squad we've got. How can we possibly not be 10 points ahead already? And it's all done by January the 2nd, and we're already promoted. I think we've just got to temper that. We've just got to, to realise the championship football is not the same kind of football as the Premier League, certainly not as pretty as the Premier League. Um, and players that had the bit of space to be able to excel with their flair in the Premier League are just not getting that space anymore. We saw Saar, he took off like a rocket in the first few games, but since then he's been a bit more subdued, hasn't he? He's found it a bit harder to, to, to impose himself on the game. And who knew Ken Seema was going to turn out to be our player of the first bit of the season? Yeah. Where did that come from? Yeah, he's been brilliant so far, hasn't he? He's been wonderful to watch, and he's... He's had everything that he's had all the attributes that we're expecting to see from Saar week in, week out. Obviously, I'm not having a go at Saar. He's a wonderful talent, and I'm sure he'll he'll get back to his best again soon. But Ken Seymour on the other side, on the left hand side, has produced everything that we were expecting Saar to produce. Those powerful runs, those wonderful deliveries and assists, and he's been an absolute revelation. He's been fantastic. I think we have to. I think I would ask you really. Is Watford, would you rather Watford are a struggling Premier League club or a very good championship club? That's what you need to ask yourself. Oh, yeah, I know. I've, um, I've had that conversation with several people. I've got very good friends, in fact, who, uh, who were slightly happy that we got relegated so that we could be a, a big fish in a small pond again rather than the, the, the latter. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think personally, I want Watford to be in the, in the best league in the world because I want our name to be up there with with everyone else's. And so yeah. I think the Premier League is the place where I want it to be. But, you know, yeah, it, it is, it's difficult to, to to go into matches thinking, well, you know, I'll take a draw here or, you know, yes. I think maybe if we, if we lose this one, it's not so bad as long as we keep the score down. That's not the kind of mentality that you want really going into a football match, is it? I mean, and in the championship, it's been such a, a breath of fresh air um, because every game you go into, you're like, right, okay, we can win this. We can win this. Yeah. 
we can win this. And they haven't all they haven't all uh, ended up like that, unfortunately. But then there's been the disappointment of uh, of feeling, well, we we could have we could have done better, um, but it didn't work out. Whereas there were games in the Premier League where we we got away with losing one or two nil, and I thought, oh yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah. And and that is that is that's not the right mentality to have, is it? So it's difficult. It's very difficult to to ask that question because the answer is is so complex. But what what what's your answer to that question, Graham? Well, I think, I mean, I think the statistics would kind of speak for itself. You know, we most of the seasons in this recent Premier League run, we were fighting relegation to a degree. You know, we would get to safety you know, reasonably well in about February kind of thing. But most of the early part of the season, we were fighting relegation and it was always on our minds. Um, so I think that tells you our position currently as a Premier League club. Are we a very good championship club? Well, look where we are in the table. I think that's your answer. I think we're, you know, we're a point off the top. We're second. We've had a couple of bad results. We've had two five-goal thrillers in a row. Um, I think we have to accept at the moment we're we're wonderful value for the championship. If we go back up and we don't, I think the statistics say that it takes 10 years on average for a team who gets relegated from the Premier League to go back up again. Obviously, some do it a lot quicker, some take even longer. Mm. Um, obviously, we all want to go straight back up, but the, the, the history tells us that's extraordinarily difficult to do. We've started really well. We've had a couple of blips along the way where we all got depressed for a couple of games. But going into this international break, we all have got a little pep in our step again. Um, where it takes us, there's an awful long way to go. There's going to be an awful lot more losses. There's going to be an awful lot more wins. There's going to be an awful lot more frustrating draws as well. Um, but I think, oh, I can't say it. No, I'm not going to say it. I'm not <laughs> going to say it out loud. I'm not going to say it. I'm going to draw the line there. I'm just going to say, I think something. Yes, you think they've got what it takes to get back to the Premier League. No, don't say it. Don't say it out loud. <laughs> well, I mean, they're uh, they're second in the table. I think one of the the biggest things for me this season, and I've heard of quite a few uh, journalists and fans say it alike, is that Watford are second without really having played that well this season. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. That's what gives me um, the positivity that I won't admit out loud. Because when you think of when we've got our full squad of, of first-team players all fighting fit, the ones we've kept, once they're on the pitch, once the message from the new boss has totally got into the whole squad, um, I can only see us improving as, as the season goes on. There is also, for me, another barrier, because Watford fans can't be all positive, obviously. We have to have negativity in our minds is that January is still ahead of us. And I, and I really yeah. dislike the January transfer window this season more than ever. If Saar does stick his head above the parapet over December and produces some fantastic performances, I think offers will come back in for him. And I think Watford will, would be pretty daft not to accept them. The problem for me really is where does that end in January? You know, if we are flying, if we are second or touch wood first in the championship by Christmas, say, and the January transfer windows open, all those players that we're so happy to have kept again become kind of put on the table, don't they, really? Mm -hmm. So that's what worries me. I, I can't make any judgments or feel openly positive about everything until the January transfer window is closed 
And I think it's the same probably for the coaching team at Watford as well. They've got to get through the January transfer window and then the final push is what, you know, then they'll know what they've got to work with for the final push. That's what worries me at the moment. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I should just be enjoying the fact <laughs> we're second in the championship. I'm, I'm looking forward to the, to the championship restarting again. But already in my head, I'm worried about the January transfer window. No, it just shows you're a real fan, Graham. That's what it shows. <laughs> have you uh, have you been impressed with Ivic this season, or do you feel like we we're still waiting to see the best from him? Or what's your impression? He has been. He, I have been impressed with him. He's obviously early on in the season. You know, we didn't concede. I haven't got the stats in front of me, but we did. We conceded what one in the first four games or something like that. I can't remember. So yeah, it was good. And that was. In, I think that was in massively important for us because. In, our, in the Premier League season last season, you know, we were throwing away two or three goals in the first half and the game was over before we'd even got stuck into it. So he seems to have eradicated that, although we've let in four goals in the last couple of games, but we've managed to get the win, so it's fine. Um, I think what he's, what he's done is I don't think he still really has his best 11 in his head. I think he's still chopping and changing a little bit. You know, with Will Hughes, they're still sort of on the verge of coming back fully. Kapu is, is as enigmatic as ever. Sometimes he, he decides to wander around. And then occasionally he just delivers this outstanding pass that you wouldn't, mm. you know, you would go, blimey, if that was messy, that would be all over the internet the next day, that pass. Yeah. So I think he's still trying to work it out. He's got the conundrum of Troy back now as well, um, which I think, I saw a lot recently, I think uh, Gray has been making noises about he's trying to push him and Dini as a partnership up front. Um, he's been saying that publicly, I think, in the last week or so, that that's what he wants to see. So where that leaves uh, Pedro, who scored a couple of goals, but he's obviously still got an awful lot to learn, I think, about his, his positioning and his... Um, there's a couple of times that Ken Seymour and Saar have fired in an early cross and he just hasn't been there mm. in the right spot that Troy would have been there in the right spot, I think. And even Andre Gray would have got to that spot. So I think he's still up in the air about what his best starting eleven is. He's obviously got some injuries coming and going as well. But I've been impressed. Um, I mean, he could smile a bit more. Yes, that would be nice. But um, <laughs> it's not in his DNA, is it? Results. It's not in his DNA. And at the end of the day, it's a results-based business. He's giving us the results. So if he doesn't want to smile, I'll let him off the hook. Good stuff. Well, we, we touched uh, a bit earlier on your on your career and how it first began with um with that John Barnes uh, interview yes. over in in Dubai. But uh, how did the presenting career actually begin? Was it something that formed over in, in England and then eventually you moved over? Or how, how did that? Start? Well, no, it was all it was all a bit of right place at the right time. To be honest with you, I was uh, I'd had my fair share of of jobs that I hated in the UK. Um, kind of trying to find my feet. And I had a long period of, I'm not going into TV because it's the family business. And I tried to stay away from it. It was weird, like uh, self-harming kind of thing. I don't quite know why I was doing it to myself. And then um, I was doing a lot of DJ work and I was uh, sort of live entertainment, uh, presenting shows and events uh, in bars and things. And then just came out to the UAE as a DJ and I kind of fell into it. I, I found a, a local TV company after a heart-to-heart -heart with my wife one night where it kind of got to the point where your wife says, well, what do you want to do? Stop moaning and just tell me what do you want to do? <laughs> I said, well, 
I, I, I want to get into the, the family business. I want to work in TV. She said, well, stop moaning in the morning, email all the local TV companies. And wouldn't you know it, I emailed one called City 7 TV that's now, that's now unfortunately demised. Um, they invited me in to have a quick chat. And lo and behold, a month later, I got the email that presenters just not supposed to get, which was, hi, Graham. We've got a new sports show starting. Do you want to present it? I mean, it's, those emails just don't happen. So obviously I said, well, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. <laughs> I drove straight up and said, yes, I'll do it. It doesn't even have to pay me. Um, and then went on from there. I'm now at uh, Dubai TV, which is the, the closest thing would be the BBC. This is the government's um, media and TV channels. And I've been here for you know, nearly a decade since I left City 7. And because I am the only English language sports presenter in, on, on terrestrial TV in this country, um, anytime there's a big event or a big star comes out, I get the call because I'm the only way they can get any English language coverage. So I'm exactly in the right place at the right time. And I've, I've interviewed them all. It's ridiculous, the riches. You, you know, I, I embarrass myself. I don't want to name names, but it's literally you name a sports person. At some point, I've interviewed them. I even interviewed Donald Trump a few years ago. How ridiculous is that? Yeah, well, I was going to say, actually, uh, I'll, I'll name them for you. You've, you've interviewed uh, a vast array of, of, uh, of, of great sporting talent from the likes of Federer to Tiger Woods. And, you know, I was, I was going to say that you have to pinch yourself sometimes when you, when you realise that you're, you're chatting to these global icons one-on-one, one -on -one, basically. Absolutely. Every single time. Totally. It never gets old. You, ne you never get well the problem is it, it getting old doesn't sound right but it, it becomes the normal roger federer and all the tennis guys they're out here uh, at least once a year playing in the dubai tennis championship so when i shake hands with roger federer when he comes out he always says hello again how are you and you think oh my god he actually remembers that i've interviewed <laughs> him every year for 10 years the one that was the most nerve-wracking because i'm a big golf fan was tiger interviewed him twice and i was i was literally shaking at that point because it's oh tiger woods is in front of me and he's looking at me and that's actually his face looking at my face yeah um so you have all those moments but it never gets old it never gets old at all um and even looking at donald trump's orange face you know that was a bit nerve-wracking at the time I, i'm getting a lot of blame actually around here because six weeks after i interviewed him he announced he was running for presidency and people are still blaming me. Did you, uh, did you enjoy the recent Masters tournament? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. I actually really enjoyed it without the fans, if that's wrong to say, because they had this wonderful drone footage all the time. And you could, I could see the layout of the course better than I ever had before. Instead of having, you know, thousands of people all shouting mashed potato every time somebody hits the ball. You had nobody on the course and I could actually see the contours and the layout of Augusta better than ever before. You know, we all thought for, well, for a day at least that Tiger might do it again. And then yep. um, he had the most remarkable round, the final round last night. Um, and then Dustin Johnson, who again, I've, I've interviewed a couple of times, who is a, just a really lovely, warm man with a really sly sense of humor that I don't think gets picked up on cameras. He, you know, he's got a bit of a devilish side to him, a really cheeky side. And I was delighted for him. He, you know, he's the world number one. And, and I enjoy seeing the best in any sport achieving the top trophies. You know, I like the world number one to win. 
I, I, you know, on the underdog stories are great, but me personally, I love to see the best being the best. Did you ever get to meet Luke Donald? Yes, a number of times, Luke Donald. Um, and again, if you ask me out of all the people, I mean, if you look at my, my Twitter photos, you know, it's just embarrassing. <laughs> but people often say to me, so who is the best and who is the worst? And I say, look, 99% of all of these sports people you meet are just really lovely. Arguably, they're playing the game a little bit because they know that this is going to go on TV. So there's, you know, they're not going to be uh, snarky with me. I'm not going to stitch them up by any means with the interview, but, you know, they don't want to give off the wrong impression. And perhaps I say something on TV that they're not quite what they're cracked up to be. I'd never do that anyway. But they're all just really, really nice, genuine people. There are a couple that aren't. Um, but in the main, they're all just really nice. And they're, I think when you get to the very top, there's a kind of calmness that descends over you. Some of the ones that have been perhaps a little difficult are the ones who are lower down and perhaps coming up or have been up and are on their way down again. Right. But the ones who, the ones who are the best of the best of the best, your Federers, your Tiger Woods, those kind of people, they've, they've been nothing but lovely. And I'm really always impressed. Are there any people that have surprised you at all? Maybe perhaps they weren't as you expected them to be? Uh, yes, I, um, quite a few, actually. Um, a couple of football. Well, no, Anthony Joshua. Okay. Now, I, inter I interviewed Anthony Joshua, Watford boy, as we all know. Um, I asked him about Troy Deeney at the end of the interview, actually. And I, I, he had just, I interviewed him about a few months after the, the big Klitschko fight at Wembley. And um, he came out to Dubai to do some, some PR stuff. And I got 10 minutes with him. And at the end of the interview, I said, um, you're a Watford boy. I'm a Watford boy, you know, brothers from different mothers, you know, <laughs> we could have, we could have almost, I could have been the heavyweight champion of the world. You could have been working for Dubai TV, were it not for a couple of life decisions. But he said that um, he and Troy often train together and Lloyd Doyley would join, join in training as well. And they have a bit of a WhatsApp group oh, yeah. and, that, and that he'd received um, a couple of messages from Troy when, when he'd become world champion. But anyway, he was, one of the nicest men I've ever met in, in any shape of life. You know, he was just so lovely, even though he is 97 feet tall and built like the proverbial house. I mean, he's an imposing figure, but gentle giant is, is a perfect description of him in the ring, less so the gentle giant outside of the ring. He, he was wonderful. And I tried so much to get the Watford boys bonding thing going on. And he, bit a little bit but didn't you know he hasn't phoned me but he hasn't contacted me since <laughs> did, did he, he uh, did he talk at all about about um what for did, is he is he a is he, is he a big fan or was he more of a, a passing fan or what was his relationship I, yeah the impression i got was he obviously keeps an eye on the results um i think he i don't think he sort of sets his alarm clock to when watford are kicking off but i think he knows enough of like your troys and your lloyd doilies and There'd be others as well that they're kind of in the similar training circle when he's back in what um that he keeps in with it like that so i think he probably follows watford uh, as a friend an acquaintance of troy rather than a watford fc fan mm. but certainly when they're doing well i'm sure he's he's watching it all the time he, he would be able to tell you that we're second in the championship he probably just won't be able to tell you how many goals we've conceded <laughs> 
Well, the reason I mentioned Luke Donald was uh, I was wondering if Luke was a Watford fan. I know, I know he's a local boy, but I wasn't sure. Yes, uh... he is a local boy, isn't he? No, I never thought to ask him that. Um, unfortunately, because Luke uh, hasn't, you know, been excellent at golf, shall we say, in the last few years, I only really get offered the interviews with the stars who are at the top when they come out to Dubai. Mm. So I haven't, haven't been, unfortunately, haven't been able to speak to Luke for about four or five years. Yeah, it never occurred to me to ask him about Watford. But again, a really warm, genuine, happy to help. You know, if you, if you mess up with a question or the camera doesn't work and you say, I'm really sorry, can we do that again? No problem at all. You take your time. You know, one of those really good people. Any other people that, uh, that stick out in your memory? I mean, not necessarily because they have a Watford connection. I'm sure there's not many uh, top sporting stars uh, who, who do have a Watford connection, unless they've played for Watford, of course. But uh, anyone else that, uh, you know, you can tell us a little bit about? Well, uh, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, Andy Murray. I've interviewed him a number of times. And oh, yeah. he's, he's a bit like Dustin Johnson. I think people now are starting to see Andy Murray has got this wicked sense of humour as well. Mm. But we could all kind of see that when, uh, when, he's, when you see him at a press conference, he gives the answers. Sometimes he gets a reputation of being a bit boring, doesn't he? Yeah, he does get a reputation of being boring. I think it's just his personality and the way he speaks. But he's now become self, very self-aware of all that. I think he's playing off it a little bit as well. But he has got a, a, a cheeky sense of humour. I think he, a lot of it is he genuinely gets bored, which I often think about all these sports people, especially in the Premier League and, and football. Mm. Like the head coaches, they have to do an interview the day before the match. They then now have to do an interview before kickoff. They then have to do another interview after kickoff, you know, four or five interviews at each of these occasions. They then have to do another press conference after that. Invariably, they have to do another one midweek. And they're getting asked the same questions, week, you know, day in, day out. <laughs> yeah. No wonder, you know, they, they tend to look a bit bored and frustrated with it all. And it's the same with, with tennis players and people like Andy Murray. Always, how's your injury? Were you going to win Wimbledon? Yes, I'd like to win Wimbledon. Of course, I'd like to win Wimbledon. What a stupid question. You know, and you, and you can end up seeing the cycle after years and years of being asked the same questions. You would come across as a bit sullen, I think, but he's, he's a really, he's a witty person. And um, uh, yeah, and I really like him, actually. He's really nice. Donald Trump, less so. <laughs> what was he like? Well, <laughs> what was he like? He came out, like I say, about six weeks before he announced his presidential run. To, um, to look at the progress of his course. He's got a Trump course in Dubai. Okay. Um, and he came out with Trump Jr. And he came out with Ava uh, Ivana. Uh, daughter Ivana? Yes, Ivana. Um, and they arrived in the clubhouse, hundreds of journalists, oh, a big fanfare. He did a speech. And then he went outside to hit a ceremonial tee shot in his suit, same suit he's still wearing now. Hit a tee shot that went, I can tell you, I watched it. He hooked it to the left. And then he told everyone it was the perfect drive, the greatest drive, the best drive. And then everyone was kind of standing around. The PR people had lost control a bit. So I just said to my cameraman, right, let's just go. Let's go and ask him. I said, Mr. Trump, can we have an interview? No problem at all. Um, and he gave me about 10 minutes where he told me he was bringing the Ryder Cup to Dubai uh, next year. And this is four years ago. You know, in the, in the way that he does say something and it makes you go, Maybe that's actually true. I mean, he's so confident in the mm. way he's saying the Ryder Cup is coming to Dubai. And then an hour later, you go, of course, the Ryder Cup's not coming to Dubai. But he makes you convinced for a minute. <laughs> he's so earnest with it in your face. 
And I tell you, unless he's the greatest actor in the world, what you see on TV in those press conferences is exactly the same Donald Trump that I saw just before he announced his presidency and met, shook his hand, small hands, orange face, strange hair, and, and this overwhelming confidence in everything that he's saying. You can get a little bit swept up in it. I honestly did. You know, like I say, he'd convinced me that the Ryder Cup was about to tee off the next morning at that course that wasn't finished. But in the cold light of day, you realize it's all rubbish. But he was, uh, yeah, interesting. Of all the people and the photos that I've got, um, me interviewing Trump is the only one that my wife has had framed and put on the mantelpiece. Wow. Okay, fair enough. Uh, is there anybody that you'd like to talk to again? Anyone that you've, uh, that you've had such a great time speaking with you'd like, oh, I could spend a whole you know, day with them going around it and just enjoying life? Oh, good question. Um, Yes, there's a couple of footballers, actually, which were good fun. Dwight York, he seemed like great fun. I imagine a night out with Dwight York uh, ends very messy. Um, who else is good? There's a lot of uh, the rugby boys. They've always been good fun as well. Um, I can't think of a name off the top of my head. Uh, who else? Yeah, the tennis guys, actually, really nice. Rafael Nadal, he's a sweet, sweet, sweet guy. You know, you know when you shake hands with someone and they shake it really earnestly with two hands and they say, are you okay? How are you? He's one of them. And I think he'd be lovely company for the night. You know, if I had to pick one, though, talking to you, it would be GT. But I just never got the chance to meet him, um, yeah. unfortunately. But boy, would I have loved that. That would have been just wonderful. I did meet Dave Bassett once. Did you? Yes. No, I say meet. I remember he came to Watford Boys School and did a talk when I was in the sixth form in the theatre at Watford Boys Grammar School. And Dave Bassett came along. And obviously things didn't go that well for Dave Bassett at Watford. And I do remember a couple of cheeky sixth formers when it came to the Q&A at the end, sort of asking him to leave his job. It was quite funny. I do remember that now. That was very funny. Mm. Mike Tindall was one of those rugby, rugby guys you met. Mike uh, I, I that's exactly who I was thinking of. Yeah, another really warm, uh, really nice guy. A lot of the rugby guys, and you can often tell from sport to sport, there's a, there's a kind of a, a personality trait. The football guys are a lot more guarded in general. They're a lot more a uh, bit standoffish, not, not totally, but a little bit more. The rugby guys are very much, this is me, how are you? You know, none of the airs and graces. Same with the cricket guys and the golfers. They're, they're, you know, they're really nice as well. Footballers, I guess we put them on a bit more of a pedestal, don't we? Especially in the UK. Mm. They're, they're kind of a separate entity to all the other sports people so i can understand why they're a little bit standoffish i remember i interviewed david beckham when he came to dubai and he had just joined ac milan on loan and they were having a training camp in dubai and it was the first time he was meeting up with them so it was actually quite a big occasion um and he was trying to get back in the england squad and he was hoping that Capello was going to be watching him and he was playing a friendly match in Dubai that night. And I managed to get an interview with him, you know, over the fence kind of thing. David, David. And he was lovely and he, and he was really charming and, um, and shook my hand and I didn't wash my hand for a week after. <laughs> wow. Another local boy, of course, that you've met is, uh, well, I say local, local-ish, is uh, Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton, yes. Congratulations to him. What an achievement. Mm. Uh, 
yeah, obviously he's out here every year for the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, and he'll be coming again next month for his seventh time of lap of honor, where he doesn't really need to race. He just waits to get the trophy at the end of it all. Um, yeah, I met him. He came out to do some promo work for Mercedes, I think, four or five years ago. And again, the Formula One drivers, obviously, they're a shorter breed than most sports people to mm. fit into the car. But he had a real charisma about him. This is before, I mean, he was famous, but this was before he went on this incredible run that he's on now. Uh, but there was a real aura about him. I remember it was a bit like Tiger. When he walked into the room, there was kind of a, you know, the hairs stood up a little bit. There's somebody very special just entered the room. I, I remember being very impressed with, with how he carried himself. And he was very polite. Um, I think he was, he's very guarded, extremely guarded about uh, what possible questions I would ask him. I just asked him the normal fluffy stuff. Are you happy? Do you like Dubai? blah de blah um, But he was lovely. He was really nice, yeah. You're certainly uh, enjoying your time at, uh, over there in Abu Dhabi and, and Dubai and, and um, you know, those Far East places. But uh, where, do you, where do you see your career moving, Graham? Do you ever think you'll be back in Blighty again on a permanent basis? Or, or you know, is it just uh, take things as it come? Take things as it come. Every, every year, uh, me and my wife, we've got two daughters who were born out here and, um, and have, have grown up here obviously they love the uk when we go back to watford and see family and friends but this is their home out here and every year not so much actually the last couple of years but usually every year in the summer we kind of look at each other when we're you know sat in a in a pub garden in watford going oh this is lovely isn't it in the summer mm, until the rain <laughs> starts until the rain starts exactly <laughs> or something goes wrong or a fight breaks out in the pub and you go no no, no we'll go back to Abu Dhabi. No, we do. We love it out here. It's, it's a wonderful life for anybody. I would encourage anybody to give it a go if the opportunity ever comes up. Some people just can't take to it and, and go home in a year. And others like us, you know, we've been here nearly 20 years now. I came out for six months and I'm still here 20 years later, married with two kids. And, and, uh, and I've got a job that I know is, is um, extremely lucky. So I don't really know. Um, you know, occasionally I, I, I make approaches to, to um, TV companies in the UK. I have done quite a bit of work for the PDC, for the darts. Um, I've done quite a few of their live events over recent years, uh, tournaments on the World Series, which has been just a wonderful fun. They, you know, in last year I was in Vegas and then China and Germany doing, doing live TV with the darts. Wow. Um, so those kind of things are great, but yeah, I mean, this is home at the moment, although Watford is more of a home, if that makes sense. Watford is where the history is, but here is where we've made our home. So we're kind of in a happy middle place between the two. We get to come back and see the best of the UK. And then when it gets cold, we come back here and it's nice and warm again. Good stuff. Well, I could talk to you forever, Graham, but uh, I'm sure you've got to, to go and uh do some do some work. So uh, we're going to end with uh, some questions, some Watford quickfire questions, if you're up for oh, it. boy. Okay. Don't expect me to get any, but we'll have a go. <laughs> okay. I'm going to put one minute on the clock, and then I'm going to ask you uh, a series of questions. Um, if you don't know the answer, just say pass. If you know the answer, obviously say the answer, and then we'll move on to the next question. And uh, we'll see how many that you can get in, uh, in that time. And I'm going to have okay. to be on the ball here to make sure that I uh, mark off when you get them right. Okay, can right. I, can so, I Google search at any point? No, I haven't got time. Okay, <laughs> Here we go. Okay, we'll start off with uh, with an easy one. 
Uh, one minute on the clock and go. What colour do Watford play in? Yellow. Yellow. Watford reached the FA Cup semi-final in 2003 and lost. Which team beat them? Oh, God. I was thinking about that yesterday and I can't remember the team. It was... Oh, oh. Was it Southampton? Correct. Who, as manager, lifted Watford up from the Premier League in 2015? Uh, Jovanovic. Correct. Who scored the second goal in Watford's 2-0 playoff victory over Bolton Wanderers in 1999? Oh, my God. Oh, no. Uh, pass. Who was Watford's top goal scorer in the 2005-06 promotion season? Oh, is that Mo uh, Tommy? Mooney? Nope. Who did Watford beat in the 1984 FA Cup semi-final? Oh, my goodness. The one that got them to Everton. Yes, the one that got them to Everton. Oh, no. What a horrible question. I know that. Pass. And that's it. You're done. Right. Okay. So let's go back there. You got uh, one, two, three, three questions. And we managed to ask you six. So you got 50%. Right. That's pretty good. That's not right. That's it's, it's, like a, it's like a very, like a usual Watford Premier League season. Started strong and then faded away in the second half of the season. So I guess you'd like to know the answers to the ones that you got wrong. Um, yes, I'll ask them again, and you can have a bit more time if you like. Who scored the second goal in Watford's 2-0 playoff victory over Bolton Wanderers in 1999? And I can help you out by saying the first goal was scored by Nick Wright, that amazing overhead kick. Oh, yes, of course it was, yes. So who scored now, the second one? The second goal, I can picture it in front of me, and you've put me under pressure. And I should know this, but I'm going to have to ask you to tell me. It's okay. It was Alan Smart. Of course it was Alan Smart. Alan yes. Smart. Oh. Who was Watford's top scorer in the 2005-06 promotion season? You oh, said Tommy Mooney. I think that's a little bit before. his. That's a bit before, isn't it? Well, yes. well, Go on. So the, uh, the person who was the top goal scorer was Marlon King. Of course it was. Marlon King, yeah. He's got a whole barrel load, didn't he, alongside uh, the likes of Ashley Young and... Henderson and Hammerbaratza. Uh, and then the one that uh, I thought you might get, but, um, but you didn't manage to get it. It was who did Watford beat in the 84 FA Cup semi-final? Yes. And it, if, I, if I give you a list of four clubs, you can tell me which one it was, maybe. <laughs> so um, was it Man United, Blackburn Rovers, Manchester City or Plymouth Argyle? Oh, my goodness. Was it Plymouth? It was Plymouth. That's right. It was 1-0. Yes, it was 1-0. I um Andy Gray works uh, in Qatar out here on the TV, and I met him a couple of years ago, and we had a little chat. He still thinks he was fouled for that header in the FA Cup final. He still insists that even if that header hadn't gone in, he would have been awarded a penalty. He still thinks that to this day. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense, but he's still convinced that even if the header hadn't have gone in, he would have been awarded a penalty and would have scored that anyway. I'll tell you what, I'll take that uh, FA Cup final any day over the, uh, the most recent one, though. I try and block that from my memory. Good God, yes. I think that's been the hangover, and that was the reason we got relegated still last year. But that's another story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I take it that one was, was probably screened on, on quite a few televisions over, over there. You're very right. I, I've, I was cleverly made the decision to watch it at home with my children. <laughs> and thankfully, I didn't go to one of the numerous big bars that were showing it with loads of Man City fans because that would have been ended me, I think, if I had to sit 
and watch them all gloat. Uh, what a depressing afternoon that was. I had family, my brother-in-law and, and uh, my whole of my wife's family were there that day. Um, and they loved the pomp and circumstance of it. And you remember when there was 10 minutes to go and all the Watford fans started cheering and waving the flags and just showing that solidarity of, yes, it's embarrassing. Yes, this isn't what we expected, but, you know, we've had the day out that we've been dreaming of since, since the middle of the 80s. So, yeah, uh, from this side, it was awful to watch, but I still look back at it quite fondly. Yeah, uh, uh, me too. I'm, I'm pleased we got there. I just, yeah. uh, I mean, the result speaks for itself, doesn't it? Players we had on the pitch as well. I, I genuinely thought we could have done a really good job. You know, I thought we could have taken them to extra time or a penalty shootout. That's what I genuinely, and that's not just being a Watford fan, um, I thought we could, but it wasn't to be. Mm. Watford tend to have better semi-finals than they do finals, don't they? Yes, I do. And one of my best friends out here is a Wolves fan and I never let him forget it. <laughs> Oh man, and of course the 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 playoff uh, semi final against Leicester as well. I mean, some magic yeah. memories there. All, all well, semis. I, I watched that. I watched that out here as well, and I watched that in a bar. Um, and you know the penalty, Knockart's penalty, and mm. I had my head in my hands, sat with the two other Watford fans in the Middle East. <laughs> we had our head in our hands, and we didn't watch it. And I almost missed the Deeney goal because I just assumed the penalty no. was going in, and that was it. And then suddenly I remember somebody tapped me on the and go, Graham, 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 they're going down the other. And well, the rest is history. I didn't take my shirt off and jump into the crowd like Troy did, but I was tempted. <laughs> oh, brilliant memories. And hopefully there's plenty more to come. Well, that's uh, Graham Clues there, a TV presenter, broadcaster and a local boy as well. A huge Watford fan. And you can follow him on Twitter at Graham Clues and catch him anchoring the sports desk on Dubai TV as well, if you happen to be in the area. Well, that's it uh, for, for this part of the show. But next up, we're going to be discussing QPR in readiness for Watford's next fixture. And we're going to be talking to Open All Hours podcast and uh, finding out a bit more about QPR with Paul Finney. Oh, no. Oh, Mitch, you've sliced that one. Oh, man, that's just getting embarrassing now. Right, that's it. I'm sorting this out. Hello? Is that Nick Pinnett's Golf Academy? Can you fit me in for a few lessons, please? Oh, terrific. Whew. Yes. Blimey, what a shot. What in the world has happened to your game? If your game could do with some improving, get in touch with Nick Pinnock's Golf Academy, based in Panshanger. Nick is a PGA qualified coach who can analyse your game with the latest technology and coach you to beating your mates in no time. For more details, Google Nick Pinnock's Golf Academy. Hi guys, the Watford Buzz podcast is now recruiting for an assistant producer. If you're interested in getting involved with the show, please send a cover letter and CV to watfordbuzzpodcast at gmail.com, including what podcast applicable skills you already have and why you'd like to help make the show. This position is voluntary and ideally suited for Watford fans with a passion for journalism. Let's turn our attentions to the weekend then. That means Queen's Park Rangers. And to chat to QPR, we're welcoming QPR fan Paul Finney from the Open All Ours podcast. Paul, firstly, I'm in awe of that podcast name. I love a good play on words and uh, that's, that's a fantastic one. Well, we can't decide who named it because we were all very drunk at the pub. 
But um, I think it was me, and they think it was them. Each individual one of us thinks we can't, we haven't typed out who thought the name yet, but we, it came up for, with a very drunk drinking session. Funny enough, in Barnet, which is not too far from you guys. Isn't that the way that uh, that all podcasts should begin in in a pub somewhere? I think that's that's brilliant. Um, yeah, that's why. As as people may be able to tell, Paul, you're not a, you're not a native of the QPR area. So how did you uh, how did you end up supporting the club? Well, it's a weird one because I, I went to school in Northern Ireland, obviously, hence the lovely accent that no one can understand. You probably have to do subtitles with this. And um, they, they sent a guy from my school called Alan McDonald, and he was a centre half. And then when I moved to London, I lived in Norton Hill, which is down the road, not the posh bit of Notting Hill, it was in the film, the, the rough bit. Oh, and okay. um, so, yeah, so that, so, yeah, over bloody 35 years now of um, supporting this club up and down and then down and then down and down and a few more ups and back, back down again. But yeah, but I mean, there's loads, I mean, to me, for knowing that, um, well, QPR is a very Irish club and all that, you know, the area in London it's in, so anyone that comes over from Ireland over here would be immediately welcome because it's a very Irish popular area so yeah it's a good club to support if you're Irish. Now it's um it's probably not been the best start for QPR this season but uh, how would you summarise it so far? Um, I think we're still kind of waiting to find our, our way um, we're still getting the new players to gel I mean every year we, we seem to to bring in a lot of players and, and then it takes time to gel then we get a season goal and then it, we, we, we seem to hit the skids halfway through and go through a bit of a stage again and then come out of it so, yeah, we're still finding a face. It's a bit weird, really. I mean, obviously, everyone's going to say with this being the way it is and everything else, but I, and, and no crowds and the virus and all this malarkey. But it's very hard to understand what's where we're going because we seem to play one up front at home and stuff. And in Dags, we've got a hell of a player, but he needs a good supporting striker around him who can bang in 25, 30 goals a season, which every club in this division is desperately crying out for. Mm. But, you know, in that respect, you know, it'd be good if we got that in or some, another experienced striker. It's hard to know because when you read about others, they talk about us promotion-wise. We haven't been near a promotion race for years. So mm. I don't I don't get why everyone always says, oh, are you going to go for promotion this year? It's like, we have, we've been outside the top 10 for way too long. Yeah, it does feel like the team's become a bit of a mid-table side, doesn't it? Which is a, a long way from the, the heydays of the Premiership back in 2011 and... and... Those sorts of years, but well, you say hey, like, we lost about eighty-five percent of our matches. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, it, the ups and downs of the Premier League is the fact that uh, you're competing with the big boys, and you will lose more games than than you win. I think Watford fans know all about that from from last season. But I mean, you'd like to be competing though at the Championship level, better than mid-table. I think, and and oh, I, I certainly think you've got the squad to 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 do that. But uh, just getting them to to work together, I suppose. Well, I mean, what some dust up is, we went 2 0 up the other week um, and then gave two penalties away. And then, luckily, managed to find an absolute screamer from Don Ball to, to win the game. But yeah, we, we seem to <laughs> find ourselves having to go 2 0 up, then 2 all, then 3 2. We mm. can't defend for Toffee. We just, we just can't. Our defence is absolutely shambolic at times. A great young goalkeeper. But we're not playing a steady defence as well, I guess. So that doesn't really help. But it's, it's very strange because, yeah, on paper, all teams look superb. But we just haven't gelled yet. I mean, one of them things you think, well, if we do gel and we and we, we find our, our, our launch pad, we're going to be a hell of a team. But it seems to be stop, start, stop, start. You know that kind of thing? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it didn't start well. And then uh, it looked as though you had turned a bit of a corner after Cardiff because you it was just one victory up to that point and then two on the bounce against Cardiff and Derby. But then Blackburn mm. kind of just 
put you right back down there again and you got to start all the way from the from the from the bottom getting yourself back up into the into the I don't know the, the way of uh, feeling like you you could you can go and push on well this listen you know what it's like in this league you know anyone can be anyone um it's it's, mm. it's a crazy 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 the games are so thick and fast i know every manager says it and stuff like that but i do when our manager says they're coming at them too fast i do get where he's coming from but it's the same for everyone else so it's not a one team excuse it is insane and you know you don't get time i think to digest the wins because you're straight into the next game and i think with blackburn it was just you know we just our heads went down we got you know we we, we got the penalty and stuff and we should have built on that but the heads just went down too soon again and then we come back with nothing and we, we got battered really towards the end of it which is a shame but you never know in this division, do you? I mean, we could turn up on Saturday and knock four past you and then go and lose yeah. to Rotherham. It's that kind of division. It's it's the most insane. Di- and every year you look at the teams that come down and you think, oh, God, it's going to be hard because Watford are going to be up there and so-and-so and so-and-so. And then you've got the other ones like Forest are going to find their, their level at some point. Derby are going to come into mm-hmm. it at some point. These teams are massive. Sheffield Wednesday, blah, blah. And every year it's the same old, you know, it's, it's bigger losing this small Sheffield Wednesday, obviously with minus 12, and now they've got that deducted and everything else, they're struggling. So there's bigger teams than us that are struggling a hell of a lot more in this division. It's a very, very hard division. Probably one of the hardest in Europe, actually, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I think I, I think I'd probably agree with you there. It's a, it's a difficult one for, for any team to get out of. It, it reminds me a bit of, um, of, of the National League, actually, in the way that um, it's so, such a difficult league to get out of. But, how have QPR been playing shape-wise and style-wise? What's their, what's their kind of formation? How do they set up in games? Well, we tend to go um, one up top and then sort of like a, a back four with a, two defensive midfielders. And then we've got Bright Salmon on one side and we've got Albert on the other side of Doma. And... Again, it's trying to find a balance of like the sometimes like the full backs have to come wing backs, and it, we're still finding a fate. I mean, personally speaking, I think we should go. I mean, I'm old, I mean, I'm practically ancient, I should be in a bloody museum, but I, I still think in this division, you can't. The year we, we won it with Warnock, you, you might remember that we won it, we won the league at your ground, it was lovely. Yes, um, yes, I remember that. Yeah, it was, I think it was Tommy Smith actually who, uh, who came back to haunt us, wasn't he? He was a a legend of, uh, of, of, uh, of Watford, and he went on to play for QPR. And he he did, up... and Adele scored a screamer, and yeah. had a great day. And the Watford fans weren't better at all. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> not much. So you're kind of looking at the formation. I like 4-4-2. I'm going to be honest. In this division, 4-4-2, will, with the right combination, with the right team, will get you sorted. Not a problem. And it, it's, just, it's just weird to see that we, we, we are changing it. I mean, he plays two up top sometimes, but it's very rarely. So it's definitely the idea is to get Dykes involved and then you're going to get your midfielders running onto it. You've got your Bright Samuels, your Abel Domas, um, your Don Balls, and they're trying to pick up the scraps in the area and knock it around and, and, and someone fires it in. So it's, it's very much, you know, and you, you got, we got Tom Carroll from Swansea. Now he's come in to try and do a job midfield to fill the gap of Eze, which mm. is impossible. So he's still finding his feet. So yeah, I, I think it is a, Definitely a work in progress, but I think losing Ezzy was massive for us because we stumbled upon this kid who was amazing, who carried the team a hell of a lot, yeah. pure, purely just with his, his wizardry. And um, he's gone now, and it's, it's kind of looking at seeing who wants to step up and be that person. Is it going to be Ilias Chur? Is it going to be Tom Carroll? Um, and then you've got behind them, you've got 
Ball and Cameron who are holding the midfield and protecting the back four. And then we've got Barbet who seems to like giving away penalties for some reason. Mm. So do you think that the the transfer business didn't quite meet your expectations then? You didn't you don't, you don't feel like you got the right person in to replace, is he? I think no, I think well hi do you? Do you know it's one of them ones. It's like every so many years, um football throws a player at you. And I don't know how Brentford are doing it. I'll be brutally honest with you. I don't know. Obviously, they're doing it on stats and they're doing it on um, players performing well in teams. They're overperforming and blah, blah, blah. I, I get the structure of it, the strategy. But, like, you know, the, how they keep doing it, I don't know. Because we got Eze released on a free from Millwall, spent a few seasons with him. He, he became a great player. So it's like a Delta Rat. These players only come along once in a while. And it's yeah. very, very, very hard to replace them. So at the moment, as I say, you've got Carolyn Elias Chur trying to step up to the next level. And, and, and I dare say we're struggling, but any team in this division would if they lost someone like Eze. As Crystal Pass will see in a few months, he's, he's a class act and he'll, he'll do much better in the Premiership than what he's doing now. So, yeah, we're still gelling, but it's just disappointing because the transfer business, I think, every season we do too much. We need to calm down and we need to stabilise and we need to stop the constant changing of, the, of players and we need to just focus on having a hardcore squad to build on. But like when Warner came in, you know, we were a mess. Brought in Derry, brought in Hill, um, Hilda Higgins and players like that who, can, who know this um, division inside, outside and back outside again. It's, 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 it's not hard to go into this league in some respects with that kind of, you know, hardcore, but then you need a magician. Mm. And we had a Delta at that year and with um, Ezzy the last couple of seasons, although our league position hasn't reflected how well a player he was, but God knows what would happen to us. We didn't have him. Yeah. What, uh, you, you mentioned Brentford there. Are they the main rivals, are they, Brentford? No, it'll always be Chelsea. Chelsea, OK. Whatever Chelsea think of us, we absolutely hit them. I mean, Brentford and Fulham. I mean, Brentford are trying to build up a rivalry with us. Um, well, they're the closest team, aren't they, on paper? They are now, because they've moved to Chiswick. And yeah. Just, uh, so, yeah, they are. But, I mean, although saying that, a lot of the oldest... QPR fans in the 60s and, and, and beyond we regard Brentford as our main rivals because back in the day um, but my generation certainly because we played Chelsea so often um, it, it would be them not down the road and right. uh, no matter if we're in the National League or anything I'll still hit them with a the passion um, <laughs> but you know it, it, it's like you know we've got uh, Chelsea, Brentford, Fulham, Luton yourselves there's always there's yeah. that yeah. kind of M25 I was interested by that one. We said, we, we said before the podcast you were saying there was a bit of a rivalry between Watford and QPR. I'm not sure if it's the same from a Watford perspective, but, no, uh, but, but certainly you feel like there's something there from the QPR fans, a little bit of a we want to beat you guys type, type affair. I, do you know what I think it is? Years ago when you had that allotment, I yeah. think it was, it was almost like an assault course to get to the way end. And I think people just held grievances because of that. So they'd like to <laughs> I, I, I squarely put it down to that. You know, the allotment's still there, I think, but... Uh, Is it? It's still, it's still behind the, um, the back of the, the stand, um, I believe. I mean, it's been, it's been so long since I've been there now because of lockdown, but uh, I think oh, it's... So you think that... You, you find yourself dreaming about the place, don't you? You find yourself... Like, I, I, the other day I was dreaming it was back of football. It was bloody amazing. And you, you just take it for granted. Like, you know, every week you're sitting there and you think, oh, Jesus, we're one nil down and... This is horrendous. Now you think you give your left hand just to go down there and just sit, you know, just sit off the road again. Or yeah. the, you know, 
Bayern Prince Stadium, sorry. It, well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you, maybe you don't realise what it, what, it, what it is until it's gone. And then, and then all of a sudden someone's taken away something that you've, you've been doing for, for years and, and people that perhaps you don't even see outside of football, you're just not seeing them anymore. And yeah, it's, it's more than just football, it's communities that have been built up over years and years and all of a sudden it's just gone in a, in a, in a click of, of fingers. And, uh, you know, it, we've, uh, we've lost a lot. Obviously, there's important reasons why, why, um, why this has happened you know why it's happened and hopefully with the announcement there's a there's a cure around the corner or rather a um uh, an inoculation or uh, whatever it is it's a it means that we might be able to start going back to to stadiums in the near future but um you know we, well, the we, weird thing is as you will know both our clubs have been forget football what watford and qpr do for their community is bloody amazing and it and it will hurt it's hurting the communities as well and that's the side of football that the press don't talk about and don't focus on because not really interested really interested in the big things. But mm. clubs like ours that do work with the community, it's 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 an outreach program for so many people with so many issues, and it really helps. And they're going to be struggling, and that's the worry about it all. Like when people do come back, you know, like the community programs are going to start from scratch. It's just horrible. The whole thing's been absolutely it's, football. The ninety minutes you miss, but it's everything connected up with that. You miss so much more. Yeah. You do, you do, you really do, and it's that you know going going with your mates pre-game. Sometimes you, you might get a, a a drink before the game, or, or or sometimes even after the game, you go and uh, maybe celebrate, maybe get a curry or something. It's it's a whole day. It's a whole day of uh, that's just been taken away, and and even watching it on the the television doesn't you know replicate that in the same way because I mean the same feelings are there when you're watching the game, but um, you're not with the same people, so it's uh it's a completely different experience, but um, well, there's no way in God's earth I'm ever watching QPR sober if I can help it. <laughs> well, at the minute, at the minute, it's probably uh, no, easy, no, it's easy not to be sober watching them sometimes. But I think I think the QPR fans' motto is "It's a hope that kills you." That's our motto. No, it's, yeah, you do. It's, of course, it is. It's, it's it's your mates. It's everything. I mean, I, these people I've grown up with thirty-five years. I've gone from child to boy to man sort of thing you know it's and it's it's, it's and, and and you know families and everything else it's it's, it's horrible and you know i watched no now match on thursday and you know it's it's just not the same even international football it just seems that we're all trying to carry on as normal but it's not normal and we're throwing too many matches at the fans and it's a massive overload but at the same time you're so distanced from it all it doesn't feel part of it yeah yeah we we, we were behind you for that one because we wanted we wanted craig cathcart to do well but Unfortunately, it wasn't yeah. to be in the end, but uh, you came damn close. And, uh, you know, Scotland, congratulations to them because they've, they've made it to uh, the finals of a comp international competition for, for since, since ages. I can't remember the last time they were at a final. I think it's 30 years. But the trouble is, it's like, it's like anything. It's like if you support a team like QPR or... Um, so I watched a team called... Oh, yeah, what for? Sorry. That was a joke. <laughs> I'm only joking. Um, when, when you get the highs, my God, the highs. The same with Northern Ireland. I went to the Euros. It was the most amazing experience of my life. I was too young for the World Cups when we qualified. I was 82, 86. So, yeah, it is amazing. And the crack is, is amazing. Whereas if you're English, you're going to qualify for everything. That's, that's a given. So, you know, it's, and it, I think it loses its... You need to go a few. You need to have a few barren years to appreciate the good years. Mm. But I think we'll not be anywhere near a championship for about another 25, 30 years. I think it's going to be a long, long road back. 
Yeah. There's just one that I remember when England didn't qualify. I think it was Portugal. Uh, was that a Sweden game, wasn't it? Yeah. You I know. want to say that, yeah. And that was a... a Graham Taylor year. as well. Graham, yeah, that's true. That's true. Graham Taylor didn't, didn't manage to qualify for... Was that the World Cup at the time? I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but yeah. It, yeah. Probably not the best uh, years of Graham Taylor's career, the, the management of England ones. We'll, we'll forget about those ones. But, um, it's, it's, it's pleasing that he, that he managed to, to get the, um, the nods to do it, but um, it didn't quite work out for him, did it? It's uh, the top job, but uh, he certainly had a great career at Watford. That's, that's certainly uh, going to be his uh, legacy for the rest of his life. But in terms of managers, though, uh, What's uh, what's the guy doing at uh, keeper at the minute? You you, you pleased with it, with, with um, his performances? I think it's a hard one. He's he's come into a club where he was. <laughs> I guess our biggest issue has been the the fallout still from the Premier years and the wages and you know we've got a director of football, Nes Ferdinand, who's who was new to the rule when he came in and stuff. So mm. they've been trying to get the wage bill down for years. I think we've finally got it down. Thank God to a really workable level and uh, with FFP and the FFP in this league seems to be very strange as if you seem to be able to buy your own ground and get away with it and spend whatever you want so there's so many clubs that got away with it but we got hammered with it um, and you know it's, it's, it's a tricky one so he's had a horrible wage build to cut with he's, he's, he's trying to bring it down and he's obviously trying to invent his own style of football but the results haven't been particularly favourable to him at the moment and um, I think think his win ratio is pretty low well I know it's pretty low because I saw the stats it's, it's not good I think after lockdown and up until a few weeks ago we considered something like 87 games since we came back 87 goals sorry in, in, in them few, and then games which is a hell of a lot so defensively he needs to get that defence right and he's got his work cut out for him once we get the defence right I think we'll be fine but yeah the trouble is like I said about earlier on about stability we can't keep sacking managers so we've really this Wolverton has to work. He just mm. has to because we've been through so many managers. Of course, they bring their own entourage, the whole, um, they bring their own ideas. They bring, well, you know, you've been, God, you've been through more managers than we have. <laughs> so, yeah. And you know, every change of manager is a change of style, a change of culture, a change of players, a change of attitude. You know, even the PR, everything changes. Everything changes as soon as someone else takes that, that dog out. So it's, it's, we need to really stick with him, give him a chat, a real go at it, and um, hopefully he'll get it right eventually. But it's, it's it's very very up and down. Yeah, he's done some good things in his career, Mark Wilburton. And of course, he started his coaching career with Watford. He was yeah. uh, he was uh, I think he managed something like every every age group from under nines up to the under sixteens or something. But ultimately, you know, he had to leave to go and find his his first professional uh, managing career, and and he did that with with, with uh, Brentford, the the guys who we were talking about uh, not too long ago, and. and you know, he did very well there, and and you know he's gone on to to have a pretty a pretty decent career. But um, at the, at the minute, he's still finding his feet with QPR. I think I think where Mark suffers from is he's an, in football terms he's an outsider, and um, people don't like outsiders in the football world. He wasn't he was in the city. He came out of the city. Mm. He got involved with you guys. He's 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 earned his right to be a manager. But in the football terms, because he's never played it at the highest level or gone through it that way. Mm-hmm. A lot of clubs will have be kind of like a lot of people within football have a kind of a snobbery. It's the same as players that come up the non-league route sometimes, as opposed to academy kids. They, they get treated differently because yeah. of, of outsiders. And I think he's certainly an outsider, and he he's certainly by doing what he did at Brentford um, 
raised a few eyebrows. How can this guy come from the city and do this when people have worked in football all their life and they haven't been able to do it? So I think he suffers a bit from that. And he's probably got a wee bit of a chip on his shoulder from that as well because of people not taking him as seriously as they should do because he didn't go through the, he didn't play for this, didn't do this, didn't do that. But he seems a really decent human being. He's, he's trying hard. But it's whether or not, especially these days, I mean, it's the same with young players coming through. A player can get five or six games and you'll never see them again. Whereas years ago, five or six games was nothing. You just thought, enough. you needed a season to bed in. You know, everything's so flippant instant now in football. Instant success, instant management. It, you know, players have to be instantly good. You know, no other fans are on their back. So it's, it's a very strange time for managers and players. So I just hope we stick with him and he gets it right. Because I'd rather have someone like him a work in progress that can turn it around and be successful because I'm sick to death of changing managers I can't stand it mm, yeah I think that's is something that uh, that one or two Watford fans would would, would share with you although to be, to be fair that the policy for for Watford was working up until only last year really when I think mm. some people probably thought yeah maybe maybe it's not it's not so good but I mean that's the thing you, you, you no matter what route you go down there's going to be positives and negatives and and I think certainly something that I, I would agree with is that managers don't get enough time you know point point blank just because there's so much pressure on them especially in a, in a league like the Premier League or even the championship to be fair it, you know there's so much money involved with going up that um, I, I think perhaps the people the heads of, of, the, of the of the clubs don't don't give their managers enough time, but um, hopefully, uh, you know, Warburton gets the time that he that he needs, and he gives him he gets a fair crack for the whip, you know, because he he needs to um to be given an opportunity to to try and you know bring his style and and see if he can if he can you know work the players into you know uh, you know a team that could potentially reach the playoffs or something. Well, the thing is, I think the, the trouble is with, with this culture of second is you've always got decent people within the wings. I mean, I think you've got the Crawley Bullers who still haven't been employed by anyone after Huddersfield, just sitting around every, every Saturday. And it's, it's only a matter of time before someone gets an issue trigger, someone gets fired and, and they get a shot in. So there's always people who say, well, he's available, they're available, they're doing well at a certain club, they're doing well. So people are always looking, the grass is greener as well. And it's always a, let's try that one, let's try that one. But what people forget is when you're second manager and the entourage, you can still be paying for them for three years, you know. And yeah. you know, I know your policy was, you know, if you start losing matches and if heads drop, you bring someone else in to lift them up. And that works for so long. It's like what Brentford are doing now works brilliantly. But when the wheels come off, it will come off big time. You know, Brentford, I don't think won for the first ten matches last season, and then they they kicked into it. So it's it's. Yeah, people need more time, but I'm just hoping we give them the time, as I keep saying. And, you know, as I said, like the managerial way that people are treated now, it's, it's, it's just not right. We used to be a manager was the person who drove the club forward. And now they're called head coaches. And, you know, the, the trouble is a lot of directors want to be more famous than the managers and owners. And that's never a good thing. I mean, when I was a kid, I don't think I knew who owned the football club apart from Elton John. Yeah, yeah, good point. Uh, in, in terms of personnel for, for QPR, Lyndon Dykes has scored three this season and, and um, you've got a couple of players on two as well in, in Bon and Cheb. But who, who are the big, the, the big threats that Watford should be concerned about? Well, our big threat to ourselves is our defence. Um, so they score the life out of me, so hopefully they score the life out of you. <laughs> I don't it's, it's hard. I mean, Don Ball scored an absolute screamer the other week, which was amazing against Cardiff. Um, and you, 
yeah, there's there's the signs are like um, Bright Samuel is an amazing player, loads of talent, um, hell of a shot with him when he's got the confidence. But to me, we try and beat too many players sometimes. We we know Bonnie's scored two headers. Um, Dykes is a great player, but to me, he's a battering ram as well as a decent player, and he's there to take the pressure off and hold it up and bring other people into the game. But we need people to come into that, like Cho and Carol and everything else, to, to create and score. So we're still, yeah, finding our feet with God going forward. I, I think goals has been a bit of an issue this season for us, and hopefully we'll find a way. We've got the young lad from Southampton as well, but he's going into the under-23. So, yeah, hopefully we can, we can find that striker that everyone's looking for. There's an unmissed someone. It's just, listen, it just needs, I think it needs two or three defectories on the, on the bounce proper, and just stop conceding ridiculous goals. And then everyone can start relaxing. Because when, when you're conceding goals, you're chasing the game. No one can play the game properly. Because thanks for Scotland has been absolutely amazing. I'll be very surprised if he's at QPR after January. Because it, he's, he must be getting watched. Because he, he's singly handed Well, not single handedly But he's driving that Scottish front line amazingly well. Yeah. I mean, and, and he's proper old-fashioned. He'll bash anyone. He'll go up against anyone. He's got no fear. And um, I like that. He, you know, people say, well, he's not getting enough goals from play, blah, blah, blah. But that will come in time. It's just confidence. It's finding the system that suits everyone and driving forward with that. And the, the offshot of that is if you're not winning matches and you're losing them, then everything seems more depressed than what it actually is, I guess. I love Jeff Cameron. I think that he's a, a quality captain and he's, he's clearly got, the, got an experienced head on him. But, he, you know, he's still... Um, He's still able to 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 boss the side and um and and, and run it from midfield, even though we, we don't see him as 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 often as as, as we're used to because of his age. But he's, you know he's um you know he's a he's a real credit to to QPR and, and every team that he's ever played for. No, he is. He's, he seems to come across well, um, and he's certainly he's good with the youngsters around him. He, he's very good at picking them off the floor. But the trouble is his legs have gone a wee bit, so he's, he's struggling, especially again. It's the Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. Mm. When you get to a certain... I mean, I think there's something like 55% more muscle injuries amongst players. So, God has had the older players are coping because it's, it's you know, it's it's relentless. And I think it's taken its toll. And again, he, you know, he's not getting enough time to get up against. But yeah, he's, you know, he, he needs to, he need, he's doing a decent job as captain. Um, needs to be a bit more vocal at times. And we need to be a bit more angrier. Um, we, you know, in midfield and stuff, we need to start kicking people. We got kicked all over the place at Blackburn, and we didn't really. I felt we could, you know, we need to be a bit more, just stand up for ourselves more, you know, mm. and and do that. But yeah, Cameron and Ball on the, I mean, Ball and on this day can be a great player, but it's again finding the It always goes back to finding the system and finding the players, and yeah, it's 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 hard it's hard for us at the moment because we haven't won enough games and we've seen way too many goals. But as staff at the signs, it is green shoot, so if we can just get a run going. Looking at that system, then, do you think that uh, anything will change for the Watford game? Well, I put money down and being a penalty at some point, um, but ho- hopefully not. I mean, the um, well, I say hopefully not. I mean, hopefully we'll find the big year, but like it's 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 I'm, it's one of them things you're scared because you're trying. It's like you're better than devil. You know sometimes, and you, you feel that. But I, I I do think that within the structure of our team. It's crying out for a change and maybe going four four two. Um, definitely, definitely focusing on more attacking and defending because in this division you're always going to concede. It's just about school outscoring the opposition sometimes, and that's what we need to do. So 
I wouldn't mind if we gave it a change. Whether he will or not, I I doubt he will. But I wouldn't mind giving it a change. Okay, and uh, you know, quarter of a season gone now. I mean, how far do you think QPR can can go this season? Do you think playoffs is is, is feasible, or do you think it will be another mid-table finish? I think the last few seasons, our mindset and mentality is at the club is just pray for three worse clubs than us sometimes. And, um, you know, if the playoffs... I mean, last season, we, we, we had an amazing run. Um, and it looked like we might actually be able to, to, to challenge for the playoffs again. I don't know. Um, we need a hell of a lot of... Um, well, yeah, I, I guess the good thing about this division is in so many games that anyone that gets a run together can, can hit, go for it. Um, I think if we get anywhere near the top 10, um, even go inside the top 10, that would be deemed as a success this season. Playoffs is probably still a wee bit out of reach for us. Although saying that, I've probably got that so wrong, we'll probably end up winning the league now. With the greatest <laughs> one ever known to man. But no, it, the playoffs would be an absolutely beautiful thing to happen. But, you know, my fear is that if we got anywhere near um, the Premier League again, it would kill us for another 10 years. So we've got to sort things out, stabilise, control the transfer activity down to only a few players every season, bring in more kids, be what QPR was in the 70s, 80s and 90s, producing their own players, being self-sufficient, having to sell them players on for sure. But while they're doing well, they're doing the best with QPR. We're doing well, they're doing well. And they can leave, like Ezzy did, with shaking hands and good wishes. And the club goes from strength to strength and becomes financially viable again. That, that, that's got to be our main um, target for the next couple of years, that we can stand on two feet again. Because at the moment, we're, we must still be hemorrhaging money left, right and centre. And that's a follow-up again from the Premier League. Hello. As I say, they've, they've, they've managed to get that wage bill down to a reasonable level, but it, it was blink and scurry our wage bill at times. Yeah, yeah. Okay, then final question. What, what do you think the score will be on the day? See, I, I'm rubbish at this. I always get it wrong because, you know, this division's so hard. I mean, we could... I mean, I, I guess for a 4-0 win for Rangers is, 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 is a tad ambitious. Um, so I'll go for 4-1. 4-1. Okay, fair enough. Excellent <laughs> stuff. That's the voice of Paul Finney there from the Open All R's podcast. And you can follow him on Twitter for some QPR insight. Just go to that Open All R's podcast link on Twitter, which will be in this tweet. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the series so far. Make sure to share it with your mates. Give us a retweet and please get in touch to tell us what you want to see in future episodes. So from me, Matt Messiano, this has been the Watford Buzz podcast. See you next time. Thank you.